All right, Alexander, let's talk about the G7 and uh, so much to talk about, to be quite honest. There's there's Alensky at the G7. There's Alensky one day saying that uh, Bakhmut has, has fallen and then everything changed and a whole bunch of denials were given. Fog of war, Alensky's English is not so good. Bakhmut hasn't fallen. There's, um, there's the meeting with Modi that he had. There's uh, Biden skipping out of the quad meeting. There's, there's the fact that Lula was, uh, was stood up by, uh, by Alensky. So they begged Lula to meet with, uh, with Alensky, and Alensky didn't show up. And Lula, from what I understand, was very, very upset. Can you He's imagine furious. That? Standing, up the, standing up the president of Brazil? <laughs> it's Crazy stuff. Anyway, a lot of a lot of different narratives to talk about from the. A lot of different narratives, but of course the narrative, the narrative in the British media today and yesterday was, and I quote directly from the Financial Times: Zelensky dominates G7 and confronts the Putin enablers. <laughs> this is this is how I mean, he was the star of the show. You know the the uh, you know he's the rock star. He's. Uh, Roadshow has reached uh, um, Hiroshima. He's uh, made all these comparisons between Bakhmut and Hiroshima. Very strange, uh, very inappropriate comparisons, by the way, I should say. But anyway, let's <laughs> skip that. Uh, uh, he meets with Modi. Modi has to listen to this person. I don't get the sense that anything much came out of that. There's no sign that Indian policy is going to change. We're going to talk to about that in a moment. And then incomprehensibly, uh, Lula, poor Lula, is brought all the way from Brazil in order to meet Mo, uh, in order to meet Zelensky, and Zelensky doesn't turn up. I mean, and, and I, I understand he's not just annoyed. I understand he is absolutely furious about it. I mean, he's supposed to be trying to get some kind of a mediation operation up and running, and he's treated in this incredible way by the president of Ukraine, who, in his own mind, Lula's mind, he is trying to help. So he is furious, and he won't just be furious with Zelensky, mind, he'll be furious with the Americans, with the G7 organisers, for, you know, dragging him all this way to this, to this uh, meeting, and having him stood up in that way, and humiliated in that kind of a way. So Lula is very, very angry. And Modi isn't going to be pleased either, because, of course, Modi, India, is part of this quad, the so-called quad that we've been hearing so much about, which is the United States, Japan, Australia, India, the four big Indo-Pacific powers. And, of course, everybody knows that the quad is supposed to be about confronting China. It's not said so, but that's what it's supposed to be. And it's not an alliance exactly, but it's supposed to be a sort of alliance in embryo. And what um, Modi has found over the last couple of months, but beyond that, before even the start of the, the, you know, the Ukraine crisis, he's found, and the Indians have found, that the Americans are very difficult people to work with and that they have their own agendas and that they always expect India to agree with those agendas. So Modi is pushed into meeting Zelensky. There's nothing very much that they have to say to each other. He's not going to change his policies. But what he finds is that the quad meeting that was supposed to happen in Sydney has been called off 
Biden is off to Washington, supposedly to deal with the debt ceiling crisis. So already Modi's going to be annoyed about that. Then there is another meeting of the Quad, which is going to happen in Hiroshima, and you have the inevitable photo op. You have a statement which is supposed to be about China and repeats much of the language of the G7, but notably, interestingly, it didn't actually anywhere mention China by name, and I wonder why. And then, of course, as you rightly said, Biden skips away again. So Modi isn't pleased. So these two important leaders of these two important countries are, are, are finding that the way that they're being treated at the G7, really, both by Zelensky and I have to say by Biden as well, uh, it doesn't show them the respect that they're entitled to as leaders of extremely powerful and very bar large countries. And so um, Lula returns to Brazil absolutely furious and Modi is going to return to India perhaps less angry but still feeling, frankly, let down. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the uh, to the Hiroshima statement, um, I just think it uh, it's in line with our analysis that we made on uh, on Alensky, which is that you know the more he's out of Kiev and the more he interacts with the press and and uh, with with uh, with the media outside of the controlled environment in uh, Kiev, the more of a fool he makes uh, yes. of himself and. The Russians must be loving uh, seeing yeah. Alensky traveling the world. I mean, it's it's perfect for them. The more you see Alensky uh, outside of, of Ukraine, the more people realize what's, what a fool he is. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to say that about the statement with uh, with Hiroshima and Bakhmut, a very inappropriate uh, statement, to, to put it mildly. And, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, Alensky ditches uh, Lula, Biden ditches Modi, it's absolute proof that that they really don't respect these countries. They they, they don't. Period. They they don't view them as 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 equals. They don't. They don't even. I mean, how do you how do you uh, charm a country like the Financial Times puts it? You're charming uh, Brazil when you when you stand them up and don't even attend a meeting with them. I, I mean, <laughs> what kind of charm offensive is that? Or how do you? How, how, do, how do you uh, negotiate some sort of a ceasefire or a peace deal? Or how do you convince Brazil to to go against Russia and, and place sanctions on Russia when you don't even uh, give them an hour or two of your time, a meeting which you begged to get with Brazil? Not the other way around. Brazil wasn't begging to meet Olensky. Olensky was begging to meet Brazil. This isn't diplomacy. This is a disaster. Oh, These absolutely. people... These, these these people are these are terrible people. I mean, yeah. you you set up to meet someone and you don't show up for that meeting. I know. I mean, that's this, this is childish stuff. Without providing a proper explanation of why that didn't happen, by the way, because there's been no real explanation for the fact that Zelensky didn't turn up. But can I just say you're absolutely right about Zelensky? I mean, he's an absolute sham. Lukashenko, I mean, Lukashenko. From what I understand, Alexander, real quick, Lukashenko during the uh, the the. The victory parade on the 9th of uh, May, from what I understand, Lukashenko was very, very ill. That's right. He showed up, though. Yeah, absolutely, yes. He showed up and he he, he attended the, the celebrations. I just, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out no, there. No, I know, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are some there are some meetings, there are some things that you... 
have to attend. Look, uh, you know, Zelensky decided not to skip a meeting with the president of Brazil without offering an apology, an explanation, whatever it was. But anyway, he didn't. And it goes beyond the shambles of the meeting with Lula and other things because you have this chaotic, these, these chaotic comments about Bahamut. You know, he tells Biden... And through Biden, CNN, you know, well, Bachman's fallen, but it's no big deal. It's a place of little significance. Uh, it's all being destroyed anyway. So that's what he says. One hour, a couple of hours later, he turns around and says, well, actually, it's not occupied. The Russians don't control it. We're still fighting there. I mean, he can't even get that kind of story straight. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the more people see of Zelensky, the more shambolic he looks. But Zelensky to be frank, is an inconsequential person. The President of the United States, the President of France, the Prime Minister of Britain, the Chancellor of Germany, these should not be inconsequential people. And yet that is exactly how they come across. So, you know, Macron, a couple of weeks ago, was it two weeks ago, he was in Beijing, he was with Xi Jinping, <laughs> Gives this extraordinary interview on his plane back, saying, you know, how you know China is, you know, the, the, you know, we we have to move towards multipolarity. He takes all these Chinese talking points, he makes them his own. Now he says at Hiroshima, our great task is to confront China. <laughs> so he does a complete change of position in a couple of days. Uh, um, Schultz says, you know. Germany isn't going to get involved in the Ukraine war. We're, you know, we're supplying everything we can, but we can't supply uh, fighter jets. Everybody knows that what Scholz says is meaningless. It is of no importance. Uh, Sunak, Prime Minister of Great Britain, talks about how we must all take on China, as if Britain is in any kind of position to take on China. And the President of the United States... He used to dominate these kind of summits. The, the president, whoever he was, I mean, the president was the leader of the, you know, the, the Western world. And people look at him again, I think. And, well, was it he got the name of another leader wrong or something like that? I mean, he's already getting, making... South Korea. And, South, South Korea. South Korea, exactly. exactly. He's, getting, he's already making mistakes like that all the time. And the impression he gives... The impression he gives to me is somebody who is both rude and belligerent and, frankly, unpleasant. I mean, that's I mean, he's not just that he's, you know, all over the place and not really attending to things, but he's just um, he's just very aggressive. Uh, uh, watching that press conference again, I was struck by how aggressive he was, actually. And that's the G7. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing. But. Go beyond the performance, the poor performance of these leaders. Two things to say. Firstly, you talked about the fact that they don't have respect for these countries. They don't. And an important clue for me was provided by an article in the Financial Times, which is all about the G7. It was the lead editorial, Financial Times, very close to the Biden administration. It said the leaders of the world's most advanced economies... So they think of themselves as the world's most advanced economies. Well, that was un indisputably true 30 years ago. 
Can one really say it like that today? But that's how they clearly still imagine themselves. And the second is an unbelievably belligerent, confrontational, aggressive final statement about China, in which they basically accusing the Chinese of economic coercion. I mean, are you kidding me? China, economic coercion, where, you know, we've sanctioned half the world, that, you know, they're cr criticising the Chinese for economic coercion. And they say that, you know, they're against any unilateral actions in Taiwan, the Taiwan, Taiwan Straits, the South and East China Seas. And they say that in a way that makes it absolutely clear that what they're talking about is any actions by China. And for me, it was reading that statement, I get the clear impression that they're working towards a situation where in a year or two time, they will recognise Taiwanese independence, fully expecting that that will occasion a crisis with China. And I think they imagine that they can prevail over in that crisis in some kind of way. And that's what it's all about now. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the, the G7 was a circus. It was a meeting of clowns, uh, very unprofessional uh, uh, clowns, <laughs> to, to put it that way. But um, the, the, the purpose was to declare their intentions towards China. Yeah. I think yes. that's clear. I mean, that's in a way it was it was a ridiculous G7 meeting, but it was also a historic G7 meeting because I think, you know, you're seeing these countries uh, come out and openly state that uh, they are going to target China. I mean, that's yes. it. They 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 have their sights set on uh, on the destruction of China. That's that's how I saw yeah. uh, the meeting. Uh, even even Ursula from the, the European Union. What is the EU even doing there? Anyway, she was there and she's talking about a 600 billion um, slush fund to to combat the Belt and Road initiative from China. I mean, they're, they're focused now on China. Absolutely. Over the next couple of years. Yes, yes. So as I said, war with China over Taiwan, you, you uh, uh, completely ignore Chinese red lines. Chinese red lines aren't important and you know i you know i understand people have feelings about china but it's absolutely essential to say that what the chinese have been saying about china is that they're not concerned about taiwan so long as it doesn't declare independence or make any move in that direction up for the moment they've not they have not been looking to to change the status quo but it's absolutely clear to me that the Biden administration and its helpers in Europe are now working towards up, uh, upturning the status quo in the Pacific. They're preparing to confront China over Taiwan. As I said, I think that it is now inevitable that there will be at some point over the next few years a declaration of independence by Taiwan and that the US and its allies now are preparing for that and for a military confrontation with China in the in the Pacific, which seems incredible to me. But I ask, I defy people to go to that statement and to read it in any other way. Yeah. Same playbook as Ukraine. Same yeah. playbook. Don't just 
Ukraine, just say that you're not going to enter NATO. That's all you have to do. Just say yeah. you won't enter NATO and we avert a war. It's the same thing with Taiwan now. Just Taiwan, just don't declare independence. U.S. just don't recognize Taiwan. EU don't recognize Taiwan. But we yeah. all see it coming. Absolutely. It's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a train that can't stop. And I don't get the sense that the drivers have any desire to stop it. I think just as was the case with Ukraine. I mean, you, I remember that Munich Security Conference in 2022 when they were all intoxicated with enthusiasm about the war in Ukraine, which they thought would lead to the collapse of Russia. I remember they were drunk with euphoria. I think they're feeling exactly the same way about China now. They've, there's an article in the Financial Times, don't take China's economy seriously, don't be persuaded that there's a real boom there. This is all a, another, it's a paper dragon. <laughs> all we need to do is just puff and puff and we'll blow it away. And again, one does wonder what planet these people are living on and what kind of information they're getting and from whom. Yeah, and the Financial Times also had an interview with Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton said that uh, the war in Ukraine has actually now uh, dissuaded China from making any moves on Taiwan. And China has seen uh, how Ukraine has, has uh, beat back the, the Russian military. So now China is afraid to, to do anything with, uh, yeah. with Taiwan. And so, you know, all is looking good for, for the neocon, yeah. neoliberal plan. And, and you know, it's, it is Hillary Clinton. But Hillary Clinton is still the... The, uh, the the matriarch, I was going to say the patriarch, the Clinton clan, Bill yeah. and Hillary, they're still the ones that control the State Department, Newland, Sullivan, Blinken. So when she says stuff like that, that's the policy that that her her underlings are going to are going to follow. Absolutely. And all I can say about all of that and about understanding the poor in Ukraine, uh, she should she should read the Chinese media because they're drawing exactly the opposite conclusions from the war in Ukraine. They're looking at all these American weapons that are failing in Ukraine. They're looking at the fact that the Russian economy has withstood the sanctions pressure. And they're saying, well, you know, if the Russians can do that, so much weaker and so much smaller than us than they are, what more can we do? The Russians can outproduce the US in shells, and they've got a fraction of our industrial capacity, we're not going to have any problems. That's the real conclusion that the Chinese are drawing, which is not in any way to suggest that, you know, they're looking for a war, because I don't think they are. But that's, it seems to me, inexorably where we're, where we're heading. And, of course, you can always do that. You can, if you prefer, take your, uh, you know, your ideas from Hillary Clinton, great strategic genius that she is, or you can look at the Chinese media and draw your conclusions from what the Chinese themselves are actually saying. But I can tell you without any doubt that the Bidens, the, the, all of those people, it's Hillary Clinton that they're listening to. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say, Alex, yeah, you know exactly who they're going to, uh, to take their advice from. <laughs> That's clear. Anyway, all right. Um, TheDurant.Locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Durant shop. 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.